0: Praise the Lord and welcome to the podcast, everyone. You are listening to the Apostolic Bible Study Time podcast. This is Brother Jason coming to you from the Gaffney Bible Fellowship in Gaffney, South Carolina. We are currently studying the book of Hebrews, and we are in Hebrews chapter 7. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Apostolic Bible Study Time. That's facebook.com/forward/slash/Apostolic Bible Study Time. If you would like to email us for any reason, our email address is Apostolic Bible Study Time at gmail.com. That's Apostolic Bible Study Time at gmail.com. Well, we're going to jump right into it here in Hebrews, the seventh chapter. Uh, I had actually recorded this twice before, and one time the quality was so bad that I couldn't use it. And the second time, I had recorded the podcast and got to another scripture later on in the chapter, and I closed my Bible up and I went home. We're dealing with Melchizedek today, and dealing with Melchizedek, let's just say he's a mystery. He is a biblical mystery, much like the uh, book of Hebrews itself. You know, I mean, you remember from episode one, when we first began studying Hebrews, there's no way to know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Well, much like that, there's no way you can know for certain exactly who Melchizedek was. But we're going to go through this. I'm using my original notes. They're just amended a little bit, but I'll I'll tell you when we get to the amended part, and I'll tell you what had me so flabbergasted. I have to say, I've been podcasting since 2014 or 2015, and this has got to be the hardest episode of any podcast that I have ever recorded. It's just due to the mystery of Melchizedek, and my desire is to not just speak my opinion, but it is to speak the Word of God and to say nothing without proof. And the problem is, when we come to Melchizedek, all we can do is draw our own conclusions. Uh, Maybe that was what they call a Freudian slip when I said our our own conclusions, because honestly, it is just such a difficult subject. But if you will bear with me, if you make it to the end of this podcast, I'm much obliged. (laughs) Hebrews, the seventh chapter, we're going to pick up in the first verse. It says, For this Melchizedek... King of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Okay, now that this uh, king of Salem we're talking about, Salem was the ancient city that we called Jerusalem. And Melchizedek obviously was the king of Salem, and after Abraham had went out and defeated Lot's captors, and he he came back and he uh, rescued the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and their their various people, and and he was bringing them back, and he, he came out, and Melchizedek came out, and he met him with bread and wine, so... Melchizedek, king of Salem, verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. There are many things that people want to argue and they want to say that, well, we don't do this because at that time they were just under the law and we're no longer under the law, right? Well, our tithes, they um, predate the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. We have tithes predate, we have the Sabbath predates. Uh, All of the moral law that we are given, obviously tithes isn't considered the moral law, but it was still put into practice, but the Ten Commandments predate the time of Moses. So Melchizedek comes out and he meets Abraham, and Abraham gives him tithes of all that he had. He says, uh, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Okay, Melchizedek, the the very word Melchizedek, is two different words combined. It's melech, which means king, and Sedek. Which means righteousness. So this Malek, this king, is king of Sadek, of righteousness. And this uh, Melchizedek is king of the area of Salem. So Salem being the Hebrew word for peace. Okay. Verse three says, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Let's go over to Genesis, the 14th chapter. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So, okay, Dr. Seagraves, we've been uh, referencing his work quite a bit here, but he goes on to say that this proves that there was a priesthood that predated the Levitical priesthood. So, when we talk about Melchizedek, I have heard it most often preached that he was Jesus Christ in some earlier form. Obviously, we don't believe in a doctrine of eternal sonship. There is one Lord. There's one God. There's not two. There's not three. We have one God, and the doctrine of eternal sonship is not true. So this wasn't just some member of the Godhead out there, but at the same time, when I read without father, without mother, without descent, I believe this is an individual that was not born as all men are born or all women are born. He, he was uh, unique from we are, but Dr. Seagrave says, and I, I understand what he's saying, but what he says is... Melchizedek not having mother, father, not having lineage, what that really means is that we don't know what his lineage was. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a human being, but he states that it just means we don't know from where he was. Okay, so let's go on here. Uh, Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest continually. Okay, so the argument being that Melchizedek had to be a man. Let's go back and look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron." So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So what Dr. Seagraves is saying, that uh, taken from among men, Melchizedek would have been a... uh, A human being. He had to have had a mother and father. He had to have been a human being in a a human body. And I understand exactly where he is coming from. There's just a couple scriptures in here that makes things, well, not so cut and dry that it was a human being. But we'll get to that. Uh, He says here in verse 4, Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the 10th of the spoils okay now you have to understand from our gentile outlook the way abraham is revered by the the Hebrew people. He, he is revered obviously as their father. That everything we do, I mean we want to be like faithful Abraham. So they look to Abraham as our ideal because he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So Abraham is left up on this pedestal. Now, the author of Hebrews is pointing out that Abraham, great man that he was, came to Melchizedek and gave him tithes of all, signifying that Melchizedek was a greater than himself. Okay. for uh, And verily they that are the sons of Levi, who received the office to the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he's whose descent is not counted from them that received ties of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises, and without contradiction the less is blessed of the greater. So beyond the shadow of a doubt there, there's no uh, there's no argument to the matter that Melchizedek was a greater than Abraham. But verse 8 is where I have my original problem that just made me shut my Bible and go home. I had to read some more. I had to look some more. I had to study some more. But I will tell you, I still do not have a satisfactory answer. But verse 8, let's see if this means to you what it means to me. And here, men that die receive tithes. But there, speaking of this account back in Genesis, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. So if this Melchizedek, he still liveth at this time, does that not mean that Melchizedek is still alive regardless And we look at this and we try to understand the uh, complications here. I am not saying that Melchizedek was Jesus Christ in an earlier form. I am just saying that it is impossible for us to know with the information that is given to come to a concrete decision that yes he was, no he wasn't, or this is who he was. Uh, there is an ancient belief among the Jews that this was actually Shem that would have still been alive during the time of uh, Abraham. So, okay, that's a possibility. To us, it seems like a bit of a stretch, but you go back and you look at the timeline after the fall of Babel and you look at the genealogies and it is possible that Abraham was still alive. It's almost certain that Abraham would have known his great-great-great-grandfather Shem. It's almost certain that he would have known who he was. But verse 8 again, because this is what got me. And here, men that receive tithes, Um, Here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is that uh, it is witnessed that he liveth. So uh, it's evident the author means that Melchizedek did not die. And the only one I know of that, well, I I guess there's not one. We can go on in this. We can go back and we can look at Enoch uh, in Genesis Well, I believe seventh from Adam is the way it is worded. Uh, He's also brought up in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, so we'll be dealing with him again. But uh, Melchizedek pleased the Lord, and he was, and then he was not, because he had this testimony that he pleased God. So Enoch didn't die. So, I mean, I, I guess there is a bit of a precedent set here, but we still do not know who the individual is. Elijah, when Elijah had come to his end, when he had uh, made his prophecies, when he stood against the priests of Baal, and then when he came up against Ahab, well, he, he anointed Elisha to be the, the um, prophet in his stead, and then he was caught up in a whirlwind. So this is two people that have not died, so yes, there are people in the Bible that did not die, but it is very odd. But again, as I keep saying, and I apologize for it all, but as I keep saying, there is just no way we can know for sure who Melchizedek was other than the fact that he was a very, very special, important being. And without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here that men that die receiveth receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Okay, let's continue on here. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So we go back and we look and we have read the, uh, the, the the psalm. We have read the prophecy. We understand what he is speaking here. That this was a promise that was sworn that forever he would be a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He, he says, for the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity a change also of the law. Remember, Hebrews is dealing It is written to the believing Jews. It is is written to the believing Hebrews, which the the Jews were the majority of what was left at this time. But this is written telling them about the new covenant that was given. And the the writer makes sure that they understand that it is a matter of location. He goes back and he quotes Jeremiah 3. 31 and 33, how the law will be taken from the tablets of stone and it will be written on the hearts of the individual. Jeremiah 31 and 33. But that is the whole point of Hebrews is we have these people that had believed in Yeshua HaMashiach. They had believed in the work that he had done. They believed that he was their Passover. They believed that he was their atonement. They believed this. So that means they have been made partakers of the Spirit. They have received baptism because they didn't play with baptism back then. You can read that in the book of Acts. So these people have repented. They believed. They were baptized. They were filled full of the Holy Ghost just the way Acts 2.38 tells them to be but after they had walked for a period of time someone had convinced them and they began looking back and they began longing after that old covenant. And that's how we as Gentiles are where we are today and how the Jews are where they are today being the unbelievers that they are. They are still at this point in time looking to see a Messiah coming that has already come. He's already been there. He's already made his appearance to Israel. John the 10th chapter he said that uh, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. But then he goes on to tell him that there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. Romans, the 11th chapter, the apostle Paul is writing, and as he's writing, he talks about us being wild olive trees by nature. We're grafted into this good olive tree. The covenant still belongs to the Jews. We just have been grafted in to that covenant. But all this was promised to Abraham. You could go back to Genesis and you can read the first time the Lord's speaking to Abraham. He says, look down and count the dust. Count the sea. If you can count the, the sand that is on the seashore, Abraham, that's what your uh, lineage is going to be. So many children will you have. And then he comes out a couple chapters later. He says, Abraham, look up and count the stars. And if you be able to count those stars, so So shall thou children be, and these are the two covenants. We still have Israel of old over there on that same plot of land, about as big as the state of New Jersey, and they are still obsessed with the dirt that is under their feet and who it belongs to. And when we come in and we can look up and we can count the stars and know the covenant that we belong to is star stuff. We are ordained of God to be entered into this, to be made partakers of the covenant with the Jews when the Jews turn back to their Messiah, to Jesus Christ. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Let's go over to uh, Genesis in the 49th chapter, verses 8 through 10. Okay. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up, he stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So we understand when we read Genesis and we read Exodus that kings were to come out of the tribe of Judah and priests were to come out of the tribe of Levi. But God had uh, put that within Jacob to make that prophecy and when he made that prophecy, the good kings, the, the kings of Judah always, but the best kings of the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah Judah always came out of the tribe of Judah. So that that was the promise that was given at at that time. Verse 13, For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Okay, I don't know what the life expectancy was at the point that... um, the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness there, and I I don't know the tribe of Levi what it was, but uh, Numbers 8 and 25 says, And from the age of fifty years they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof, and shall serve no more. So under the Levitical priesthood, They could only serve up to age 50, but here he's saying that Melchizedek, he he is forever a priest because he has an endless life, okay? Verse 17 says, for he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Galatians in the third chapter, the 19th verse. He says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to who the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So we can look back to the book of Exodus when Moses had come down from the mountain with the original two tablets of stone, and that was the law. The rest of the law was added because of transgression, because they could not walk in the Ten Commandments that were originally given to Moses. They they didn't have it in them to continue on in the commandments. It really was a simple thing that the Lord asked them of. But I guess from all the years that they had been in Egypt and for all that they had saw, their heart had been hardened and truly at heart they were Egyptians they stayed that way honestly I I don't mean to go down a rabbit trail but read the book of Jeremiah it's no wonder that he burst forth into tears all the time when you read the life of Jeremiah after uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come and his armies had come and they had taken away the Jews of consequence and took them into the Babylonian kingdom what is the first thing the people wanted to do they wanted to run to Egypt That is what they wanted to do because they could never get Egypt out of their hearts. Uh, Jeroboam. What did Jeroboam do when he became king of the northern ten tribes? When Jeroboam became king, he made two golden calves. Golden calves were the gods of who? Egypt. Their hearts had never come out of Egypt. So that's the reason why the Lord was telling Ezekiel, he says, I'll take that heart of stone out of my people and I will give them a heart of flesh. I consider uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel to be birds of a feather. They were contemporary to a point Uh Ezekiel would have been a little bit older, but Jeremiah would have still been alive at the time that Ezekiel would have been carried away. But to Ezekiel, God's telling him, I'll take away that heart of stone. And to Jeremiah, the Lord's telling him, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. So that they're two birds of a feather there. But he says, uh, And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. Verse 21, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath. By him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, the, the scripture being quoted there is Psalm 110 verse 4. But uh, being the priest of Melchizedek, it's an, it's an everlasting priesthood. We go back and we look at the sons of uh, Aaron and then later uh, one of his great-great, I don't know the generation's grandchildren, Zadok. They were priests after the order of Zadok. But when the Lord uh, arose in Nazareth, he wasn't made a high priest of Melchizedek because of his lineage, but because of who he was because in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What was in him, he is the mediator between God and man, and he's also the mediator between man and God. He stands at the crossroads between us, being fully God and being fully man, able to make intercession for his people. But under the Levitical law, there was no deliverance from the sin. But here Jesus comes, and he can heal the heart. He can heal the sinful heart. And he can make a way for the person to turn from their sin. We were talking to this earlier at the house, my wife and I, talking about the woman caught in adultery that was taken to Jesus. And they were wanting her stoned, but they were trying to entrap Jesus with her. And they say, Master Moses says under the law that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And after a little uh, time, Jesus finally rose up and he said... He that is without sin among you, let him cast a first stone at her. But at the end of all that, when she realizes her life is saved, he said, does no man condemn you? And she says, no man, Lord. Then he says, go and sin no more. The only way that your heart can be set free from sin is through Jesus Christ. The only deliverance you have from sin is through Jesus. Jesus Christ. And that is the difference. Abra- I'm sorry, not Abraham. Aaron, when he stood before the people, he was very much one of them. But Jesus was perfection. He was God manifested in the flesh. Verse 22, but so much was Jesus made, a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. We've already read that, how it was up to age 50, and then the priest had to step down and step away. But this man, because he continue with ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him seeing he liveth to make, ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now this comes out of the world of flame study Bible. To come to God through Jesus Christ does not imply approaching one person in the Godhead through another person in the Godhead. Rather it means the only way to know the true God is through Jesus Christ. The intercession in view here has to do with the fact that Jesus is both God and man, since it is "...it is in him that God comes to us, and in him that we come to God, Christ's intercession does not indicate that Jesus must pray eternally for humanity, but it does mean that the Incarnation's permanence assures eternal empathy of God for human beings." the Catholics have this view of the Godhead that we have Jesus asking God certain things and we have Mary asking God certain things. But this Trinity is not of the Bible that the Catholics believe and that the Catholics push on the people. It is actually a pagan concept that goes way back before the time of Christ. Uh, Alexander Hislop, The Two Babylons, that was a very good book you can read to get some more understanding understanding, but he says, for such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, "'Separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens, "'who needeth not daily as those high priests "'to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. "'For this he did once when he offered up himself. "'For the law maketh men high priests "'which have infirmity, "'but the word of the oath which was since the law "'maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore.'" Well, we got through it. I, I hope you're still with me at this point. <laughs> if you'd like to join the conversation, our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash apostolic Bible study time. That's facebook.com forward slash apostolic Bible study time. If you would like to email us, the email address is apostolic Bible time at gmail.com apostolic bible study time at gmail.com. Well, we've made it through chapter 7. It's it's on the home stretch from here and Lord willing there won't be any more complications, but Melchizedek is one that is very very difficult to get your your head wrapped around so to speak, but we did it. We we did it, but we just still don't know who he is for sure. Well, until next time, this is Brother Jason reminding you that Jesus is not in the Godhead. The Godhead is in Jesus. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2 and 9. Until next time, goodbye and God bless. Our righteousness and power If all we need is Jesus